because the story of Ruth takes place during the time of the judges. I want to read chapter 2 to you and uh, bear with me because that takes a few minutes and then we have our study time together, but I think it's time well invested. So join me now as we read from chapter 2 of the book of Ruth. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. And so she went out entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, She is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the woman. I have told the men not to lay a hand upon you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. And when she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she shot Uh, As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her, for the bundles, and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she thrashed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked, where did you glean today? 
Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The, man of the, man, the name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing us kindness, to, showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. And Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and the wheat harvests were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Okay, so I read you a whole chapter, and it's because, it's because I didn't plan very well, to be quite honest with you. I should have done this sermon series over about five weeks instead of three. The other thing is, is what I find in my experience has been that sometimes this is the most scripture some people hear in a week's time. And so rather than teach you verses at a time, I want you to hear whole stories at a time. It's, it's important. It gives you things in a perspective that will bless you. Bless you. But it was perfectly timed. Which is exactly what I wanted to say to you to start with. When you're looking for God... Look for the timing more than the thing, all right? See, the thing about miracles is it's not so much a question of how God's going to do the thing. Yeah, in the Old Testament, God parted oceans. In the Old Testament, God struck down whole armies. In the New Testament, God, through Jesus, healed the sick, raised the dead. But if it really comes down to a question of how it could be seen as a God thing, it always has to do with timing. It always has to do with the placement of the event. The fact that the Egyptians were bearing down on the Israelites at the shores of the sea and they were certain to be destroyed and it was at that moment that the sea parted and they were delivered from their enemy. That is timing. Now, that's not in the sermon notes, but thanks to Courtney, it gave me an opportunity to make a point that is in the notes. You see, in order for us to really understand the value of this book of Ruth, we have to recognize that while it does make a tremendous script for a Hallmark show, it is, in the end, a prophetic word of God. And really to understand prophecy as, as true Bible people would understand it, we have to think of it in the biblical way and not the worldly way. Remember a couple of weeks ago we were talking about the Greek way of looking at things and the biblical Christian way of looking at things, the Judeo-Christian biblical worldview versus the Greek worldview. And what we recognize is, is that in the Greek worldview, prophecy is seen more like fortune telling. It's, it's someone predicting that something's going to happen, and then you try to take that to the bank and bet on it. And then when it comes true, you say, wow, they, they predicted the future. 
But this is not the way the Bible intends for you to understand prophecy. Prophecy in the Bible is meant to tell you something about the heart and mind of God. It's meant to tell you how to recognize where God is at work. And so when you hear prophecy from Scripture being proclaimed, especially from pulpits like this one, a lot of times people are trying to, to you know, sensationalize the prophecy in order to get you to see the predictions coming true and, and, and then somehow... I don't know. I guess it would ease your fears or it might really excite you. I just don't know. I mean, uh, but, but what I do know is, is that in Scripture, what we're really supposed to do is recognize God through the prophecies fulfilled. So a prophet comes along and says, this is what you can expect from God. And then later on, when God does what is expected, you go, you know what? That had to be God because that's what we were told to expect. It's like this. If you have a dear old aunt that you just love to go visit and you stop at the store to buy her a gift, even while you're looking at the gift, you're imagining her response. You can already imagine her holding it in her hands and going, oh, this is so wonderful. I love it. Even if she's already got three of them, right? Because that's just what she's like. And so you already know what she's going to do. And then sure enough, when you get there, she delivers. You prophesied. It is a way of saying this is who this person is and how they tend to respond to certain things. And so through the fulfillment of prophecy, I can know the heart and mind of God. So when we look at the book of Ruth as a prophetic book, we're understanding much more than just this romantic, sweet story of love between a mother and a daughter and between a handsome, brave man and an attractive foreign woman. Yet it's all very intriguing and interesting, but what's really going on here is we're learning about the love of God and we're seeing it projected in a way that we can count on in what remains in Scripture from this story forward and even into our own story. So there are some concepts being represented in this story that I want to review for you. First and foremost, you heard a term in this reading that I want to revisit. It's the, the idea of the kinsman redeemer. Now, in Scripture, the kinsman redeemer is a male relative who is to deliver you from problem. It's in the laws of, of Moses, and it's the idea that this goel, which is the Hebrew word for it, a goel, uh, which is sort of a servant of God, and this goel's job is to rescue. And so if in the case of Naomi, her husband dies, her sons die, and she's suddenly found with no immediate family, to rescue her from her dilemma, then she would seek the help of a kinsman redeemer. And this kinsman or this relative has to be a near relative. There's certain things that are required. They have to be willing, they have to be able, and then they have to deliver the goods and so to speak. And then if they'll do all of that, they are the kinsman redeemer. They are the one who helps the widow in this case or the orphan which would be kind of Ruth's plight, to survive and even prosper. 
So this is a really important concept, the kinsman redeemer, the one who has nothing of value, who is completely destitute, is rescued by a near relative. Now, there is another law at work in this story. It's the law of gleaning. This is also from the book of Deuteronomy and Leviticus. And it was God's instruction that when the farmers were harvesting, that they would make one pass through the fields and they would deliberately avoid the corners and they would not go back and pick up anything that was dropped or missed. So in the harvest, it was intentional for some of the fruit to remain in the field. And this was intentionally done for the sake of the poor, especially the widow and the orphan. And the idea was is that those people would have an opportunity to get the food that they would not otherwise have access to. They couldn't buy it in the market. They didn't have money. They didn't have fields of their own, their property of their own. So the only way they were gonna eat was in the fields that were being harvested as they followed behind as a gleaner. Now, there is an interesting thing here to take note of, and that is that these poor and uh, uh, down on their luck people were entitled to this free food, but they had to work for it. <laughs> they, they didn't just get it delivered to them by the workers. They had to actually, I'm gonna try and make a political comment here. This is what scripture says. Scripture says it's there. It's there because it's intentionally left for them. It's that percentage of the harvest that is given to the poor, but the poor have to go into the field and work to retrieve it. And as you listen to the story, Ruth had to even beat the barley into something usable. By the way, Boaz was so good to her that he basically let her go back to Naomi with about two weeks worth of food. You know, usually when you're gleaning, you're just hoping to get enough for supper tonight. That's the scriptural idea there. So that's the law of gleaning. Then there's this law of redemption, which kind of goes back to the kinsman redeemer. But taking it a little deeper, the law of redemption under Joshua's leadership, you understand, the people had been entering into the promised land, conquering the promised land and establishing themselves, but with no government. They were a theocracy, that is, they were led by God. And so, as you remember from our study of Joshua, when the people were living in the land under Joshua's leadership, God was in charge. And Joshua was simply, Joshua was their, their kind of point person or their singular leader uh, who communicated God's will to the people. But when Joshua was gone, things started to turn bad. But if you remember, and I think it's kind of wonderful the way the Lord has done this, we are now talking about Jubilee again. You know, uh, first uh, weekend in September marks the end of our year of Jubilee. And uh, I know it's Labor Day weekend, but you don't want to miss this because we're going to really celebrate our year of Jubilee and look forward from there. But this year of Jubilee came after a time of people owning the land, but they didn't really own the land. The understanding was that everything belonged to God and that the rightful owners ultimately were those who were appointed to basically have a 49 year lease on the land. 
by God. And so each of the tribes, as they were assigned their territories, were given by God a 49-year lease. And at the end of the 49 years, they had a year of Jubilee. And this is when, no matter what business decisions they had made, perhaps to sublet the property to someone else or whatever, it all got reversed and everything got reset back to the original plan of God. And that's a theocracy at work. And so the idea then is that the redeeming of the land is to return it to its rightful owner, to return it to God even, and to understand that it's God's stuff, that we're just managers of God's stuff. And that when we begin to manipulate and, and operate with God's stuff and the blessings that that in, uh, entitles us to, ultimately there is an accounting where God says it's time to redeem it or to bring it back, to set the accounts at zero. And so that's where we get the idea of Jubilee. Now that's important because in this situation that Naomi finds herself under, her husband, Elimelech, had property that he was entitled to as a member of a certain tribe and as part of the people of that tribe, he had certain property, but he'd lost his sublease, you might say. He, for whatever reason, no longer had control of his own piece of God's land and his own piece of God's property. And so that left his family with no place to go to call home and nothing of their own. And the only way that that could be redeemed or restored to them is through the kinsman redeemer. In this case, it looks like it's going to be Boaz. Now, there's a great twist in the story coming up next week because turns out there's someone else who is one step ahead of Boaz in the line of succession. And therefore, Boaz doesn't technically have the right to redeem them. But it sure looks like the right guy. You know, Ruth's name means desirable. And if you haven't picked up on it yet, Boaz has found her particularly desirable. And so we really want him to get the girl. We're rooting for Boaz here, aren't we? And the best part of this is that it's love's response. You see, the thing about Ruth that's so remarkable is that she has done what everybody admired so much. She's left her homeland and claimed the God of the people of the place where she now resides. She has claimed Naomi's God. And, and it isn't just a, a, a kind of, of, well, you know, I went in Rome, <laughs> do as they do, that kind of. No, she really loves and believes in this God, Yahweh. She really has converted. She's a believer. And the very love of God is being expressed through her to Naomi. Remember Naomi said in our passages from last week that, that God must really have it in for her. And yet, in her moment of desperation, even Naomi must have recognized that the deliverance was coming through none other than the convert, Ruth, the foreigner named Ruth. Can I take just a moment and tell you something personal? People ask me how Nathan's doing. Here's my answer to the prayer that we prayed. This is the answer we got. When Nathan was so sick 
and so frighteningly, desperately sick, we kept being directed to the right people at the right time in the right places so that no matter what happened, we always seemed to be just one step ahead of this dangerous illness. So much so that when Nathan came home, instead of having to receive intravenous antibiotics for the next couple of weeks, they said we had taken it so sufficiently under control that oral antibiotics would work until the next step of his uh, situation. Now, I'm only sharing that with you because it's my personal testimony of what we're reading here. God's always a step ahead of you if you'll let him. If you'll trust God and believe in God's ways and not try to force God to do it the way you think it should be done. When you try to define what the miracle looks like, you're missing the timing. Look for God in the timing. There's an old uh, saying among the traditional Jewish rabbis that coincidence is a word that's not kosher. There's no such thing as coincidence in God's world. In God's economy, we don't experience coincidence. And so what we have to recognize is that God, that God is always working around us and in us and through us and, and God's always ahead of us. And, and if we'll walk through life that way, sure, sometimes it feels like we're plowing our way through the dark, feeling around, trying not to fall or bump into walls and things. But if we can do that with confidence that we're moving towards God's deliverance, towards God's provision, then even floundering in the dark feels sort of safe. And that's the idea here that we're getting. God is working through Naomi's tradition and religion and through Ruth's extraordinarily good character and faith. And so as the story processes, what we see is Ruth following the instructions of her mother-in-law who knows the rules of the religion and the culture and Ruth taking it on faith that this is God's will. And this marvelous and wonderful thing happens because her faith has been her testimony. Her faith has been the thing that everybody is remarking about in this community as this marvelous woman who has been raised in a foreign land where they have foreign gods and all kinds of history with us that makes them somewhat untrustworthy as a people group. And yet here she is, more faithful, more committed to God and more uh, in love with God and therefore expressing God's love to people like her mother-in-law. So what's your, what's your story? What's your witness? Is it a witness of faith? And now this story is about Christ, our Redeemer, and that's where I'm going to try to bring this to a landing now, is that Christ is our Redeemer. Under the law of redemption, it's all about the loss of property and freedom. And this means that in a very real sense, we can look at literally the story of Adam and Eve who were given by God this place called Eden to be the stewards of it and to care for it with God's friendship every day 
And then because of sin, they lost their right to the property and they lost their freedom. They were cast out of the garden and their sin was covered through the shedding of blood. Don't forget that. They were given skins to cover themselves with. And from then on, they are homeless. From then on, they're wanderers on a land outside of the place they were appointed. And yes, that's us too. You know, now it's more figurative than literal, but it's still the same idea. We're foreigners in a strange land because we're actually residents because of Jesus Christ, because of our birth through the Holy Spirit. We are people of another land, a place we haven't been to yet, but we're going there. And the reason they're going to let us in is because we have a kinsman redeemer who has bought it back for us. And that's Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. He's bought it back for us. He's our kinsman redeemer. How can we say that? Well, because he's human like us, and yet he's God. And so he has the unique ability to redeem and restore us as no other person in all the history of humanity could ever do. He's our Goel, our kinsman redeemer. He was qualified. He was our next of kin. He was able. He was willing. And he was not going to give up until the task was complete and we were redeemed. And so we know now that the story of Ruth and Boaz is a beautiful love story, but it really is a prophetic indication of our relationship with God. It's an indication of who we are to God. Someone beloved that he watches out there in the field and says, who's that? I want to redeem that one. I want that one to be home again in my household. And the only thing that you have to do is respond. And what you're going to find in next week's version of the story, next week's chapter of the story, is that Naomi will give specific instruction to Ruth on how to approach Boaz in order to receive the redemption that he can provide. But it will be on Ruth's initiative that Boaz can deliver the redemption that she seeks. And to her credit, Ruth won't be satisfied unless the redemption is also for her mother-in-law and the people of her mother-in-law, which is really amazing because that is the character of a Christian and it's in one of the oldest books in the Bible. So this may be the most significant Old Testament story to Christians of all, and this is why we study it. Let us pray. Thank you, God, for your word. Now burn it upon our hearts. Change us forever because of your word. Thank you for the prophetic truths in this story that tell us about you. Help us to not expect so much from you as to expect you to be who you are and for us to become more aware of that and to live in harmony in our hearts and our minds with your heart and mind. We pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.